Welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. Um, I apologize uh, to our listeners last week. Um, I actually was ill, and we did not have an episode go up. I tried to do these people. Um, so, but we are back this week, and uh, I'm happy and excited to have a friend and colleague on today that actually we haven't seen each other for, I don't know how actually thought about it, how long, it's been a year or two or something, maybe. Yeah, I was trying to remember the last time I saw you, and I'm not even sure. <laughs> Probably at Red Eye, you know, coffee shop Probably at some at point. Probably at Red Eye, which just <clears throat> was uh, a, a long uh, hangout for a bunch of us for quite a while, and, and still and still is, by the way. Um, anyway, Jesse. <laughs> Tenor line. <laughs> Welcome to Just Another Bozo on the Bus. Thanks Glad for to have having you. me. Glad to have you here. Um, so um, we'll, uh, we're going to get into things in just a minute. I want to let you know um, next week um, I've got uh, Andy Stewart on, on the broadcast. And then the following week, finally, after uh, some delays, the uh, pros from Dover, so to speak, or the bozos from Dover, um, Robert Simpson, Corey Markovich, and Brett Heiner will be on to uh, discuss some current issues uh, in the mental health and, and uh, substance abuse field. All right. All right, Jesse. Um, so this is a time that uh, our listeners get to know you and get to know a little bit about your life and story and uh, what makes you... Uh, just another bozo on the bus. Where would you Where would you like to start? Gosh. <laughs> um, I mean, being back here in Lighthouse kind of makes me feel like everything comes full circle. Mm. I was telling you know my best friend that on my way here, for me, in a lot of ways, the journey starts here. Huh. And I don't know how much I've shared with you about my dad. Or if you even knew him, but he was. I I did a know. Client. I do know who your dad was. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was 2010, um, and I will try to not get emotional. <laughs> I feel all the feelings being back in the space. Um, but yeah, 2010, he had told me that he finally decided to take my advice and go to treatment. Hmm. So he came here to Lighthouse Recovery and went through the program, and he just loved it. He loved Brett, and uh, he just said, whatever it is, it just works for me. Um, <laughs> I think he just—I'm not 100% sure, but I think he described it as tough love <laughs> or some, <laughs> something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but whatever it was, in the spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. he you know talked about the spirituality of the space. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he said it worked for him got sober we were very very close i'm an only child we spoke every single day for long periods of time because he was newly sober um he was a caretaker for his own father and who was a recovering alcoholic and he had um dementia alzheimer's he was at the end of his life Mm -hmm. my dad was really struggling with that um And so I want to say it was about a year, maybe a year and a half that he did really well. Um, First time he had, he had been sober on and off throughout my life, Mm -hmm. but um, this was like a, 
the first time I remember that was a long period of time in my adult life. And um, he was doing great. He, he was under a lot of stress. He relapsed and then passed away unexpectedly. So once all the, you know, the autopsy, everything came back, they said it was a lot of scar tissue around the heart from years of drinking. Mm-hmm. So he was about 52, which is just so young. It's I mean, I, re- I realize that now yeah. that I'm almost 40. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> when that happened, I came back here, came back to Utah. I was living in Arizona, and I had no idea what to do. Um, so I reached out to Brett because... My dad had been talking about him a lot, mm-hmm. and I knew that they were close. And I told Brett what happened, and um, I didn't know how to do a celebration of life or a funeral. Or I mean, just like at first, I felt like nothing was planned, and this bomb was just dropped on me, and I had to figure everything out. And I had my grandfather still alive, so I became caretaker and. All these things. And, yeah, all and your grandfather was like in his seventies or something. Yeah, like, yeah, he at that was. Time, yeah. He was elderly. He was, um, yeah, he was like like taking care of an, an infant. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> um, he passed but he, he away. He wasn't drinking at that time. No, that he had been sober. He had been, he had been in AA for probably twenty something years. Yeah, and he passed away seven days after my dad. So, anyways, we had a celebration of life here, um, and that's when I knew that I wanted to go into the treatment industry. (laughs) And (laughs) so I... uh, That's where you, that's, that's where you, you, you got sort of a spark or... Yeah. I don't want to say, taste is not necessarily the right, the right word for it, but something, something, Mm -hmm. something happened and... And I had been doing social work, um, actually in grief and loss for quite some time before that, mm-hmm. uh, in college, just as a volunteer. I'd always kind of done something as a volunteer for many years. So at first I kind of was like, well, should I just volunteer somewhere? Should I work in the industry? I had just finished an MBA program. And so I, the first thing I did was reach out to Brett when I moved back here and say, how do I work in this industry or what, you know, where do I fit in? Right. And he pointed me to the LSAC program up at the U. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was kind of on the fence about doing more school. Not an uncommon feeling a lot of people have. Well, and I was in grief and I think... I think I was looking for something, some sort of immediate distraction, mm-hmm. something else that I could jump into uh, right away. And <clears throat> I called the U, Carrie, at the LSAC program, and um, was thinking about that on my way to lunch with a friend mm-hmm. um, who I hadn't seen for many years. Sat down at lunch. Started to tell him what I wanted to do. And he's like, I just finished the LSAC program. <laughs> I'm working at a new treatment center right now. Come aboard. 
it was, I mean, everything fell into place. It was where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly how it was supposed to happen. I never had any doubt about that. Hmm. That's um, wild. Right. Kismet, so to Especially speak. Especially right? considering, you know, this friend and I, we really had no business being in the treatment world. Like, we were not sober. We just... <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, that's a, that's a, it's that's, a, that's a kind of a separate story in itself. But, but yeah, but that, you know. it was just like the what I mean is like the fact that he was working at a treatment center mm-hmm. was the least likely likely scenario that I could have imagined. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was like, wow, everything is pointing me yeah. in this direction. You yeah. Know? yeah. All the signs are there. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So, yeah. yeah physically, <laughs> There was nothing loud. I could ignore, yeah. yeah. So, um, a few days later, I interviewed. I started working at that treatment center, and um, that was in 2010. Um, and then a series of things happened. I started a relationship with one of my childhood best friends, um, someone I'd known for, since I was six years old, our moms used to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my mom had some really serious health problems that year. I almost lost her. She was on life support for a little while. And I, I got diagnosed with some serious fertility stuff that it, I got diagnosed because I was in a lot of pain. And had a bunch of surgeries myself. So mm-hmm. all these things were happening all just like from 2010 to 2011. By October 2011, I had been binge drinking pretty hard. Um, and and uh, yeah, my boyfriend at the time, well, I should say at the time, like we're still together. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. My husband. <laughs> yeah, you're, he's, he is your husband. And, uh, yes. You, you do have children together. Yes, we so. have too. So um, him and I just kind of, I wouldn't say we went off the rail. Like we just, we had a really good time, but also some really hard times. Mm-hmm. And uh and I had never, I had always drank too much when I drank, I would say, hmm. but I never drank frequently. Like, um, you know, never no, drank. I, I, I totally never drank. understand that. Yeah, and you a lot get of it, people, like, a lot of people don't understand that, that type of relationship with the substance. And I had the same relationship with cocaine off, off and on for 20 something years where I would stop for long periods of time and then. Either I wanted to go up or I wanted to go down or, you know, I know how to make this moment better or something, mm-hmm. you know, some, some, I mean, if I look back now, it seems like a silly idea, but it wasn't something consistent. Yeah. There would be a few weeks at a time occasionally where, you know, it, it would be a lot yeah. of chaos. So, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of money. Right. <laughs> well, and I remember talking to someone about it saying, I'm not an alcoholic, but it is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> um, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Uh, so, well, And the language is almost not even, today is not as important as it's it is. Not. Just it acknowledging. Matter. And 
and I, I and you and I've talked about this. I think in, in the years past is this idea of really that the substance is a symptom of something else anyway, right. sure. and that the really it's the underlying issues that need to be addressed, and um, so that the, the that the the relationship with the substance has to doesn't have to be such a destructive, um, deteriorating one. It, it, it's not that I you know it's okay to go back and use cocaine again because that's not part of my life, but the idea that 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 um, and when I'm doing better, when I'm living better, when I'm living more, more wholeheartedly, then um, the need for that to to act out in certain ways and to use things like substances to to be you know to uh, it diminishes or right. lessens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I um, and I and I think I never felt that great about drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, I felt like that. So I went through the um, Prime for Life training at some point. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in that class and they talked about how when you, you know, kind of like are a binge drinker or any kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, addict, you surround yourself with people who are doing the same thing and it normalizes it. Yes. And I realized like light bulb right there. Mm -hmm. Everyone around me drank either as much or more than me and mm-hmm. so it seemed very normal part of my part of my childhood part of my um my social life high school you know probably i would say junior high high school college um you drank on the weekends and yeah. that was pretty normal normal yeah well, and, and it was all, all, I mean, your, your your family has a history as well. Right. So that gets compiled on, to, on top of mm-hmm. what, you know, these other ways in which it had been normalized too. But had, in some way, had even during those times, did you differentiate between, you know, the way, you know, my father or my grandfather drank or, and the way I, you know, you drank or the, or, or not? You know, I had never had... I mean, of course, I made bad decisions while I was drinking, but I had never had, like, I'm feeling, I never felt sad, bad, mad, any mm-hmm. of those feelings, and then went and drank. So mm-hmm. I didn't think I was doing it in such a way that they were. Like, I I think that they had some pain. And also my, my mom's father mm-hmm. um, was a very serious alcoholic. He committed suicide when I was six years old. So it was when I was growing up, my uncles, my dad, my grandfathers, all these men mm-hmm. in my life were either um, using drugs or alcohol. Right. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I don't think I ever thought that I was using in the same way as them, but also the ups and downs of it. I did feel sure there was some there's always parallels yeah. I mean anytime anyone I, I and I believe that's true even if there's not the the possibility of um, experiencing alcoholism anytime somebody uses a substance in a certain way you know there is an issue there that needs to be addressed and I, I suppose that's why we begin to separate things out like substance abuse from substance dependence mm-hmm. you know and, right. and, and addiction that gets broken down differently and instead of trying to <laughs> put everyone in one under one you know um header or one umbrella it, it right. just doesn't work you know right yeah. yeah and i would say 
you know, there were people in my life who thought it was insane for me to identify in any way as having any kind of problem, uh-huh. you know, um, but it was a problem, especially at that point. Um, my relationship was falling apart. My husband got a DUI and we were, um, we had just found out about these fertility problems and we're kind of at a crossroads. Like, mm-hmm. Um, we hadn't been dating that long, but we had known each other forever. Yeah. And we kind of had to say... <laughs> well, you, in some ways you grew up together. <laughs> yeah, we grew up together. We had to... We are kind of placed or in this situation where we had to decide if we wanted to have children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you could say things got real, real fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we both did. You know, we wanted to have children, and um, the doctor said, well, now or never. So we weren't married. We weren't, I, don't, I mean, we. I, I think we were living together at the time, but newly. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, anyways, the fertility journey started, and um, and with sobriety, I think it was, all these things were sort of building to the point where it was like enough is enough. Um, I was turning into a a crier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so that's how you describe. Yes. Yeah, so up yeah. until this point, I had mm-hmm. always drank and just had the time of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. A very serious, focused uh, academic by day. And then, you know, come the weekend, I let loose. <laughs> I was wild. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it and I had fun. And then I suffered the next day, sometimes several days. And I think the time that I would suffer after <laughs> was getting longer <laughs> because I was drinking more. Well, the amounts were increasing, so. And I mean, let's be real. I'm like 95 pounds, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a very high tolerance, and I always thought that was like some sort of badge. But you know, that sort <laughs> yeah. of. No tolerance, tolerance, <laughs> tolerance. Yeah, a badge of honor. Right? I, yeah. 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 Which actually is just the opposite. It just means neurologically, I've, I've adapted to a certain level of alcohol to feel right. normal. Right. 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 Oh, so sad. Um, but yeah, I was I was grieving very very deeply and I would drink a ton and then start crying and I wouldn't be able to stop, you know, and it would just go on and on and on and it was not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and um and my husband was just doing some dangerous things like like driving and, mm-hmm. you know, leaving and I had always had a lot of fear around being with an alcoholic because there's a history. My grandmother, sure. both of them, my mom. You know? Right. Well, and, and, and having a sort of normalization or comfort around it, right? Yes. And this is that, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon. And I mean, I know you know all this, but yeah. um, it's always a good reminder to, and also for our listeners that because we become comfortable with that, then we all, all of a sudden have a natural attraction to it. Yep. And we may not be able to always read it through the person 
but somewhere in there, there, we, there is part of us that knows, well, why am I so comfortable with this person? Right. You know? And then yeah. because, well, well, they have these, you know, these similar issues that mm-hmm. I've kind of been, I've grown up around my whole life. And yeah. so it seems normal. Right. Yeah. Right. It's comforting and it feels like home. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. then it's also so scary and all you get all the positive and all the negative emotions mm-hmm. with it. And um, so I just remember one night, he, you know, him leaving in the night and I couldn't find him and it took a while to find him. And then the next day I just kind of said, it's not working. You know, I told him I will um, always be in your life. I mean, we're best friends, and mm-hmm. but I can't be in this kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too painful and scary, and <clears throat> it's not working. And um, he was like, "I'll quit." And um, and so, you know, people say that. All that a lot of people say that, <laughs> and I've been in a lot of relationships where I've heard things similar things. Um, I've said it. Have you? Um, I definitely had woken up and been like, Ugh, I'm never drinking again because I'm, yeah. you know, I feel like crap. But I don't think I'd ever. Nobody seriously. ever asked you to type thing. Yeah, yeah no one had That's ever really asked me key. to. Yeah. Um, I don't think I didn't consider myself at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. It was more of whatever that um, means, whatever that means yeah. you know. Um, at first, I think I more saw it as me supporting him. Like, I'll do this for you. Right, right. Because I didn't, I was like, I don't think he can do it on his own completely. He had um, a little bit more, like, physical withdrawal than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but... As time passed, I almost feel like it got easier for him to stay sober than for me. And um, we didn't really do any treatment. We just were our... He did some DUI classes and things like that, but I was working at a treatment center. (laughs) Back to Prime for Life? (laughs) Yeah, he did Prime for Life. (laughs) Not here. (laughs) Um, And, um, yeah, I... I stayed sober at first for him, and then at some point, I'm sure I realized my life was better. And um, so, and we were also doing this fertility stuff too. So it was kind of health, you know, like we were trying to ha- have a mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. So um, it made sense there as well. And, um, I guess once I got sober, I started to realize that I had some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone does. I mean, whether there's drugs or alcohol involved, everyone has stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And working at the treatment center, I was, you know, just kind of enlightened by... Well, that environment, right? That I mean, environment. It just, it's, it's difficult to work in an environment where the majority of people around you are all in some way trying to change their lives or better their lives. Mm-hmm. And that kind of atmosphere has a sort of therapeutic vibe that just deals or, or leans towards awareness and, and yeah. developing awareness and insight, you know, personal responsibility. And, yeah. yeah, and I was soaking it all in, you know, like every group I sat in and um, 
just even in executive meetings, you know, you're just immersed in this, um, all this new information. And what I really started to... Well, in this field, right? I mean, it's expected, you're expected to, to live, you know, to live what you're you know whether you're you know a therapist or whether you're um in marketing or whatever you're in right you're expected to live live a life of uh, you know integrity and um honesty and and uh account accountability yeah yeah Yeah. and uh i don't think i've ever shared this before but there was a time when it's only one time but i'll never forget it where i went to work super hungover and I still feel ashamed you know (laughs) being around all these kids that were you know trying to get sober Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that day but there was a day when they someone had one of the kids had looked me up on Facebook or something or googled me and Mm -hmm. saw a picture of me holding a like with a beer in my Mm -hmm. hand Mm -hmm. and kind of like freaked out you know just and I and one of the one of the girls said well Jesse's not in recovery I mean she can drink you know it's not a big deal (laughs) and I just remember thinking to myself like can I should I do I want to be doing Mm -hmm. this like it just feels yucky to go to work and like you're living a lie like like you're hiding a big secret (laughs) well I think the the key is in, in what you're saying or at least the the concept for for how I sort of wrap my head around this, um, because I, I the the notion of to am I drinking to excess right I mean mm-hmm. am I drinking the the next day that I'm I'm ill from it yeah and that's probably an indication regardless of whether I have an addiction to alcohol or not is probably an issue that needs yeah. to be addressed on some it's level not healthy yeah because <laughs> getting to the point where one has a hangover means that we're you know we're getting to some level of alcohol poisoning right so yeah. there's an issue of some kind there whether it's strictly about the relationship with alcohol or not there's something going on that yeah. needs to be addressed yeah, yeah and, I th- and I feel like it's you know if it happens to you once a year you know not frequently maybe (laughs) (laughs) depending on who you are maybe it's not a problem but when it's happening every week at least for me I was like oh all right (laughs) um it's not working and so yeah I didn't feel good about working in the industry and binge drinking on the weekends and uh yeah, my relationship was suffering, and so yeah, we decided. And you're to get, trying to get pregnant, and we're trying to get pregnant yeah. too. So yeah. all of this at and the grief, same time. all this grief, and yeah. and um, you know, the close call with my mom and my own surgeries and my physical health and just all these things. Everything was sort of pointing me in this direction. Mm-hmm. So um, that was October of 2011, and. Uh, yeah, I, I've been sober ever since. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Quite a, quite an in- interesting journey. Where, you, where did you grow up? Rose Park. Rose Park. The hood. The hood. <laughs> oh my gosh, up there with Corey. <laughs> and um, uh, Ross from yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always talk about that. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So, so when you, I mean, and, and I, I, you and I have talked about this, I think, in, in the past before, too, is at, at least, you know, sobriety is about a state of mind, a state of being, how we live, right? Yeah. And that, you know, once the substances are, are, are taken away, um, you know, because knowing or understanding that they're the symptom of something else going on. Um, I remember just a little while ago, you were mentioning this idea that, you know, I became a crier. And I, I, I mean, because of all the grief that was going on, yeah. right? Do you, do you attribute that to the alcohol or do you attribute that just to where you were in your life and, and what well, was going yeah, on? I Emotionally, was... you had a, it, it just seems like you had a lot of inner, you know, turmoil going mm-hmm. on at the same time. Yeah, I was distracting um, myself from mm-hmm. my grief mm-hmm. by staying super busy. Um, I had some legal stuff going on with my with my dad's family, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and that was a distraction. My new career and focus on treatments. Uh, you know, other people, mm-hmm. distraction, relationship, distraction. Everything was just, I was doing all of these things to not have to feel the pain that I was really feeling. Right. But it it was there. Oh. <laughs> and it would, it was coming out once, you know, at the end of the night when everyone was winding down. That's when, and I don't remember all of it but i know i would wake up in the morning and there would be like thousands of tissues around me oh yeah it was it was coming out Hmm. pretty severely Hmm. so and i think now i realize the drinking i mean i was just wound so tight um, I've always kind of operated at a, I've always wanted to be perfect and I just, <laughs> I wouldn't allow myself to make a mistake. The bar was always set here and just here, here, you know, it was just mm-hmm. unattainable. Yeah. Um, is, is there also this, I mean, I heard a little bit in there and again, so I'm not projecting, you know, but it, well, I could be. That's okay. Um, if you are. <laughs> I'm sure I could be. But the um, the aspect of um, you know, sort of, I'm not living authentically for myself. On mm-hmm. some level, I, I know that something's yeah. Regardless of the substances or the the relational dynamics or the family um, system issues, um, that something just doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. th- this is what I. Th- so this is what I relate to. Is something. And maybe this is the the projection piece. Is when I hear you talk about this and this your, this part of your journey is this idea something doesn't feel authentic. Like I'm not, besides not I'm not being my best self. I don't feel like I'm I'm, I'm showing up in, in some way that's that's really speaks to my integrity, my truth, and my purpose. Whatever. Right. Is yeah. It, is that kind of what that experience was like in some way? I think so. I think so. I think I was. Um... You know, I learned about codependence once I got into the industry. Sure. Like, yeah. um, really understanding what that was and what that meant for me and how that affected me. And 
um, yeah, I just, I realize even more so today looking back, mm-hmm. um, how I was suffering and how alcohol fit into that. Like, you know, when I say I was operating at a very tightly wound, intense, high level during the week and letting mm-hmm. loose on the weekend, you know, you kind of have to look at that and ask yourself, why is there that need? Like, why right. why do I need to let loose on the weekend? Like, what's really going on for all the other moments mm-hmm. of my life? Like, why is it so... Why am I so hard on myself? Yeah, why? You know? Why am I? And and which ends up, and then, and, and then the weekend after the weekend, it would there'd be some shame. Oh, so much but, shame. Yeah, same. So shame, much shame. Shame. Yeah, that that, that living these the, these dual lives, right? Yeah, and, and that's hard. So at, at the fullest, when you're working in the treatment the, industry, the, the, the full, so yeah, <laughs> like the fullest. Really living, living a dual life. <laughs> what a dichotomy that yes. is, right? Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. And then you start to think like, okay, I'm here for a reason and I feel this this way. I, I can't ignore it anymore. Hmm. It's time to act on it. Yeah. And yeah, so. And how, how, so how, how long was it after that, that you, you, uh, you got pregnant? All right, let's see. Um, she was born in 2013, so I went through a series of surgeries. Um, yeah, I got sober in 2011. I did um, the treatment center that I worked for helped me get in touch with a. <laughs> it's, it sounds a little silly, but a mm-hmm. hypnotist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's, that's not common. Silly. Pr- that's not silly. Okay. Yeah. Hypnotherapy sure. is, I, I is, thought it like, I was like a hypnotist, like for real. <laughs> like a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist. It was like a hypnotherapist. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Um, you know, he, he was like, some guy wasn't coming from the, uh, the theater to, to do a little. But in my mind, that's yeah, what right, it was. Sure. Like I was scared to go into his office because I'm like, what, you know, am I going to be walking like a chicken when I right, like, right. you know, what is this? <laughs> oh, here's your video. You can share with your family and friends yeah. if you want to, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just a form of therapy, I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did some sessions kind of around grief work and then around um, fertility. Some, something that I, some guided, he, so he recorded the session. Mm-hmm. So some guided meditation I could listen to. Oh, good. Yeah, so okay. yeah, I did everything. I mean, surgeries, medications, mm-hmm. um, the massage, chiropractor, yoga, anything that the internet said could help with fertility. Mm-hmm. We, we did, we yeah. tried. And at, and finally at some point, Oh, and here's the other piece. So we 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 aren't married still today, mm-hmm. legally. Yeah, whatever. So I, yeah, I mean, obviously he's he's my life partner, my husband. Sure, my, right. You know, I mean, but, it's it's common. I mean, it's a common law marriage, whatever you want to call it. Yes, I mean, if it, if Utah it, had common law, we would be common yeah, right, law. Right. I mean, um, but I couldn't go get treatment at um, the fertility, the privately owned fertility clinics mm-hmm. because. 
they don't take unmarried couples. And that was even when I, I, I needed surgery because I was in pain at first. Um, I needed like my ovary needed to be operated on. Mm-hmm. And um, I had an assist about as big as a melon on it. And it was so painful. And I couldn't even get surgery at these privately owned fertility centers. And the person that I am. <laughs> Is that still exists today? Is that still true today? As far as I know. Oh my I gosh. mean, uh, the person that I am, I was like, this will not stand. <laughs> so I called the ACLU. <laughs> Good job. I was going to say, somebody showed up. <laughs> yeah, I did. I um, tried to. Because what discrimination that is. That's, right? that's just wild. Basically, yeah. what it came down to is they were um, in the way of my right to pursue a family. Uh-huh. And um, that's what the lawsuit was about. So they did open up a, um, a civil lawsuit. Um, and about a year later, they called me and they said, look, we have all of these. We're, we're so backed up with these adoption cases mm-hmm. for mostly like same-sex couples that we're trying to mm-hmm. adopt. Like we're we're going to put your case on hold for a while. And I was like, of course, I could go get married. <laughs> this is different. This is just me saying like, this is not right. This is not fair for the people who at the time could not go and get married. Right. Um, so, so I was fine with that. But anyways, I ended up at the University of Utah because they take um, federal funding. So sure. they can't, they couldn't turn me away. Of course but I actually had to find a doctor up there who would work with me and not and who was okay with working with me you know so it wasn't an issue and i found the best doctor the most amazing doctor well of course someone who doesn't have that that uh bias uh, you know (laughs) turns out to be a better doctor yeah turned out to be a better doctor because they have a more open mind and not living by some you know social construct of Mm -hmm. what marriage is is you know a, a, a piece of paper Right. And I would say and a ceremony. And I would I would say if it wasn't for her, mm-hmm. I don't think we would have children because we had had even um, once we got into the IVF process and started doing all the procedures, um, there was times when I had other doctors do like the embryo transfer mm-hmm. and things, mm-hmm. and it never worked. So I just think. I needed her. You needed her. Yeah. And uh, Dr. John Stone is her name. She's amazing. Everything lined up. (laughs) Yep. Everything lined up. And uh, so, yeah, Layla was born on Christmas Eve, which we had been saying every year for Christmas, we just want a baby. We Mm -hmm. like, we were desperate to have a baby Mm -hmm. and um, literally had a baby on Christmas. She was born extremely sick had to be life flighted to a different hospital tons of trauma for us as new parents like we did everything to get this baby and Mm -hmm. then we were told we don't know if she's gonna make it she's so sick um so a very trying time for us but she did she pulled through after a few weeks in the NICU at St. Mark's and healthy five-year-old now um that's wild. Yeah. That's really wild. Yeah. I remember all that time, actually. And I was, you know, reading some of the talking point questions. 
about uh, the victim narrative. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, as far as I know, I don't feel like I've ever been there except for at that moment. Hmm. I was like, why is this happening to me? You know, why? And I remember uh, talking to my best friend and she was like, you gotta, you gotta stop. You have a beautiful, healthy baby. She's gonna, she's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And I immediately, I was like, mm. yeah, no, no more. I'm not a victim of anything. Right. I'm right. not. Like this is amazing that this happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a, I think a normal thing to go through. Well, I think it is, especially postpartum. Right. I think that's completely natural and normal to, to do that. And and um. We, I mean, we we are kind of simple creatures in in, in some ways that you know our our horm- hormone balance is uh, really important. Oh, gosh, and any yeah. any time we're go- going through some, uh, you know, it's like puberty in some ways. I mean, but giving birth is is so much of, not. And I God, I feel every time I talk about this, I feel like such an idiot because you know <laughs> I I can't I can't you know obviously it's not possible. But you have children, so but you I have do children. Understand. I, I do understand, and my and males' brains go through a, um, when they are connected with their partner mm-hmm. and 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 the child that they do go through all these developmental changes um, and hormonal changes that mm-hmm. happen at the same time. Um, not quite the same, and, and that's why I don't want to compare it exactly to it. But my my point is is that whenever these hormonal changes are are happening in our bodies, and 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 the effect it has on us neurologically, um, the it, it's not uncommon that yeah. you know the dynamics of of depression or that set in, and often that can feel maybe not as much as not always necessarily the victim necessarily but it can surely lead to that it's there's a premise that can that can take us there it, yeah and and the sense of being alone or being you know why me kind of thing right? yeah. yeah yeah like why why couldn't i just get pregnant easily have a healthy baby and even this last so i have a uh a, he's almost six months old now a little boy and mm-hmm. um after having so he's he was born healthy and i thought yes like this is what it feels like you know i'm at home i'm glowing and he's on my chest Mm -hmm. and this is magical and then i started to get fevers you did (laughs) yes yeah and i know what the signs of infection are (laughs) but i was like nope not gonna happen (laughs) not me like i'm going to push through this mm-hmm. and um and i couldn't and i did have a very severe infection in oh. my body mm-hmm. in my uterus after giving birth and i was like again <laughs> like, <laughs> something is happening to me again uh-huh. damn it um so yeah i was hospitalized after i went home for a week and then I was hospitalized again, fighting this infection for a while. How long were you in the hospital for? Um, I think it was just another, uh, like, about a week. But I went home before I was completely better. Mm-hmm. And once I got home, I started to get sick again. Fascinating. <clears throat> yeah. I went through three rounds of antibiotics. And... Um, 
yeah, when I look back on that time, I realize how damaged my brain was. Um, Hmm. You know, after you have a baby, you're tired. And so, and you got the hormonal stuff going on. Um, But I was hallucinating. Mm -hmm. I was confused. Like Mm -hmm. I went to get gas and I couldn't figure out how to pump gas. Mm I, and it, and I would say it's taken me about six months to heal from this. Wow. And I'm probably not all the way there, but I feel like my brain is now, I kept telling everyone after I had the baby that I felt like I wasn't here. Almost like I had died and I was floating around right. up here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I could not get here. And you, uh, it's out of, out of your body. I was out of my body. A little yes. Bit, yeah. Something was happening to my brain, but mm-hmm. I couldn't articulate what it was. Uh-huh. Wow. And um, I still don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was, I don't know if I had a brain bleed. I don't know if it was um, the antibiotics, all the medications I took, or I, I don't know, the trauma maybe, but... Probably, I mean, a a combination. I would think it would be a combination of all of this. I mean, it's such a stressful experience because talk about living in fear. I thought I might not make it, and I had a newborn baby, and you know, and a five-year-old. Yeah, Yeah. and she was only four, a four-year-old and a newborn baby. How can I? How can anything happen to me? Basically, is where my mind was. So, yeah, stressful. Stressful yeah. time. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we can kind of chuckle a little bit about it now. now we can. Yes, right. Also, I kind of, I feel like you got to laugh about everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the idea about you know? it. That's the whole premise of just another bozo on the bus is I realize, you know, my story is, is going to be just like everyone else's. Every, everyone has a combination of, of these these different aspects to their life, which include, you know, illness, wellness, trauma, yeah. Know, grief, loss, um, celebration, and you know, and but it when it gets all mixed together sometimes. Yeah. Um, so you 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 had a little you had a little psychosis coming in there. Uh, yeah. Some hallucination. Yeah. Um, and it sounds. Were you sleeping? So. Because um, I mean, there's the so day, many aspects to this. Yeah. The day yeah. I actually went back to the doctor because I, it, it I knew something was happening um i had nursed my baby and put him in the cradle mm-hmm. laid down and just i mean i was falling into these like a, a fevered sleep mm-hmm. yeah. so my body was shutting down and i was holding a pillow mm-hmm. and i woke up just in complete panic because i thought i was holding, holding. him yeah. very tightly yeah but the this i mean that's kind of a normal thing like that happens but what doesn't happen is when you're fully awake and the pillow's moving so the pillow was moving in my arms Mm -hmm. and i threw it away from me Mm -hmm. and called my doctor Mm because pillow shouldn't move (laughs) (laughs) well you know Um, i mean unless you're in an episode of ghostbusters (laughs) but that wasn't the case speaking of ghostbusters i felt like i was hearing voices okay Mm -hmm. which is which is a a sign which 
is a sign that, that the fever was affecting it was your absolutely. cognitive abilities when you I get, took my temperature you get it into was like auditory and visual hallucinations yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah my fever was pretty high yeah that'll do it yeah. that's that's a lot and and sometimes people take that that for, that for granted a little bit and I, I know that um I just you know I think well was, I, I I had the flu for a, a few days and I was running in and out of fevers and I remember waking up in the middle of the night one time and you know I swore my my uh, my phone was was playing something and talking to me you know and I just said oh I must have left it on you know or plugged in or something like that and I realized I was just having a, a little fever hallucination and, it, and then, but I mean I, I I laughed about it and said yeah, yeah you know drink more water yeah. <laughs> But yeah, because th- you that think like it's but I didn't have gonna the infection. Pa- yeah, you think it's going to pass, yeah. but then it's like, yeah. Okay. And maybe I would have got better on my own. Yeah, I don't know. But I've, also, let's are, be real, like yeah. plenty of women have died <laughs> from yeah. childbirth. So yeah. who knows? Yeah, and, and still do. Yeah. Yeah, and still do. Um, so, uh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like if you would talk a little bit about, because when when you got out of, when you got out of the treatment field, mm-hmm. you, know, you went into a different field. I mean, you be- yeah. you became uh, an entrepreneur, I guess. Yes. You know? So, are you okay talking a little bit about yeah, about, about your you know your journey through that, and, and talk a little bit about your business and yeah. So, um, I was working from because it was it's kind of a new idea. I mean, what you guys what you guys did. Yeah, yeah, um, especially here in Utah. So I yeah. <laughs> 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 Especially here in Utah, <laughs> just put it mildly. Right? Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. So yeah, I'll I'll Gonna get to the, I'll get to what I mean by that um, on a couple of levels. But so I was working from home with an infant, um, still working in the treatment industry, and then um, when she became mo- the more mobile she became, the more I realized working from home with a baby. Mm-hmm not quite as easy as I thought it was going to be and I started to feel extremely torn between being the best mom and being the best at my job and which I mean we were saving lives it wasn't a small feat you know like it Matt it was an important job yeah and I wanted to be everything to everybody (laughs) oh (laughs) (laughs) and i'm I'm gonna make everybody okay with about zero hours of sleep right right. um and something started to happen to me which i can now look back and realize this is a reflection of me not taking care of myself Mm um i got insomnia which is if you've experienced insomnia Yes, I it's have. a very scary thing. Yeah. Um, and during many of those hours, you know, staying up thinking, I I started to feel like I needed a place where I could work and my baby could play. So Starbucks, but with a, a playground or right, like right. something child, you know, something for, for your child and nothing existed. I couldn't even find a place to go with my baby just to like, it had a kid's area in it. Right? Yeah. yeah. A, for babies. Yeah. For babies. Plenty of places have, I mean, you could go to McDonald's and there's like the, you know, the playtime. Yeah. Playtime. The playland, play, play you know, whatever, whatever but that's right. not for babies. No. Um, or for like, 
kids that want to stay healthy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, it's okay to go there. You, you can say yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was watching TV one night. Shark Tank was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were these entrepreneurs um, that had something called a play cafe. And um, they ended up getting... Um, funding from mm-hmm. one of the sharks for mm-hmm. to franchise their business so i mm-hmm. reached out to them and i was like this is amazing um we need this in utah yeah what a great idea what a right. great idea and started to talk to them and at that time i was you know in my old position where i would meet with people all the time and i started talking about this play cafe idea instead of treatment mm-hmm. <laughs> and um it was probably the second person I met with to, and like, this was just on my mind mm-hmm. was Brett Heiner. Right. And I hadn't seen him in a long time, like a couple of years, maybe even. And <clears throat> we're talking about treatment. We're talking about the industry and the problems in the industry mm-hmm. that we were starting to see and some stuff that just didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know what I really want to do? <laughs> and i told him this idea and and while i was meeting with him i probably had my baby with me so i would take her places Mm -hmm. um i would take her to work with me i would take her everywhere because i could and um but now when i look back i was i think yes i made it happen Mm -hmm. but i but it wasn't the best for either one of us, for anyone. Right. You know, like when you're torn in all these different directions, are you doing a good job in any of them? Well, probably not. An okay job. I think I was doing okay. Even the notion of multitasking is kind of an illusion. And and the more research shows us, the brain cannot compartmentalize like we think it can. I mean, humans have the ability to compartmentalize, you know, emotionally, you know, uh, regulate things to separate them out and regulate them. But, but being able to actually multitask, it's, we're just not wired for it. No, we're not. And I, I know about myself now that (laughs) without, without developing other problems like insomnia (laughs) Insomnia. and a few other things. So that's what I know about myself now is when I'm not managing my life the best way um it will come out Mm -hmm. and that is probably the biggest symptom for me Mm. that i'm not managing things well as i stop sleeping Mm. which is important important (laughs) i highly recommend sleeping (laughs) but um so yeah i saw this play cafe idea i'm i couldn't get it off the brain i became a little bit obsessed with it started talking about it met with brett um, told my idea, and he said, "Hold the phone. Hold the phone. <laughs> Wait a second. And he called his fiance, Christy, yeah. and he's like, "I'm sitting here with Jesse. She has the same idea as you. And I mean, the the fact that this place, this is where my dad went to treatment. Mm-hmm. This is where it all started circling back around now i'm talking to him and he's telling me you know my fiance and her daughter were talking about this last night same exact idea yes we met the next day and became partners yeah 
just happened. The just three like of us that. met the next day and became partners. And um, yeah, Storybrooke Play Cafe began. I guess that's we looked, you know, for space and mm-hmm. um, ended up with a great location in Mill Creek. Didn't yeah, we? yeah, so yeah. we yeah. did it, and we opened in um, October of two thousand and fifteen. And the Play Cafe is amazing. It's a space for working moms, stay-at-home moms, dads, caretakers, nannies, you know, grandparents, to come with their babies, toddlers. And Mm -hmm. um, they can either engage and play with them or they can not. Yeah, they can allow them (laughs) to their own devices. They can allow the kids to play while they're working on their computer and... Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes when a problem, you, when you recognize there's a need for something, you have a problem, sometimes you have to create the solution. And so that's what I did. Hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, really quite a, <laughs> quite, quite a story. Why don't you tell people where, where this is located? I told them Mill Creek, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, so it's, on, um, it's at 1538 East and 3300 South, um, just up from, like, Trace Ombres and the gymnastics training center yeah congratulations on that thank you what a nice transition the community and again kismet i mean and the community just embraced it right i mean yeah i mean it was a it was a neat i mean you you had the idea for the niche and there was such a a demand for it yeah because utah has lots of places for kids that are older Mm -hmm. but for babies i mean it's not you don't there. you don't need to spend money on the aquarium and the <laughs> the zoo and all these places for mm-hmm. your baby yeah. um what they need developmentally is, is a little bit different and so we could just kind of fill that niche i guess that need mm-hmm. so um you guys do all kinds of stuff there, actually, though. You do all kinds of activities and yeah. events and uh, multi- for multiple ages. Mm-hmm. So it, it I mean, when I say multiple ages, I mean, we're still talking children. Yeah, <laughs> six and under is about, yeah. yeah. But most of, most mm-hmm. of it is. Um, yeah, we do birthday parties and art classes and all kinds of events we have. And then we also share the space with, like, um, La Leche the um the breastfeeding group and um music teachers will rent our space to come in and do music classes for children and yeah it's just it's become part of the community a great community space yeah Yeah, it is a great community space but that's just a great story a great story so um no regrets leaving the treatment industry You know, it's funny. Um, I have a lot of people that work in the treatment industry now Mm -hmm. that come into my business with their babies and Mm -hmm. their kids, and they ask that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I was just telling someone the other day that what's funny is I still feel the same, if not more, um, stress. (laughs) Different. Because people always assume that leaving the treatment industry that I did it because of, you know, stress and like, um, the nature of the industry. Um, and I, 
I tell them I'm just as stressed, but it's good for me to keep everything in perspective and to realize in the treatment industry, we are talking about life and death. Yeah. What I'm doing is I'm being hard on myself because I want my business to be the best. I want it to be amazing, mm-hmm. perfect. I want every person to love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a people pleaser. <laughs> I want everyone to be, want, <laughs> everyone to be happy. I want everyone to be happy. <laughs> I don't want a single, you know, unsatisfied customer. Mm-hmm. It's a lot yeah. of uh, pressure. <laughs> and, you know, when I'm, as I was telling these people who are still saving lives that it's just as stressful, I had to check myself a little bit and be like, maybe, maybe not, you know? I mean, maybe I need to kind of realize that I'm, I'm not saving lives i'm trying to provide a a really good good safe fun experience for people but you know what i mean like well i'm 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 gonna i'll jump in here because i i have a this is a strong passion for this whole concept which to me the all not all now this is I don't want to generalize, but I'm going to. Well, shit, so why say I don't want to? Of course I want to generalize. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> But I have this strong, and, and the listeners of, of Just Another Bozo on the Bus know this, that, and, and that I have this strong feeling and this strong sense that everything comes down to connection and community. Mm-hmm. Um, all healing and health are associated with that. And so when I look at Storybook Cafe, that's what I see is community and how people connect there. Um, And it becomes a resource. And just the the idea that, you know, other people come in and use it as a resource Mm -hmm. facility where they can work with children, whether it be, you know, through music or art or, you know, anything that I see that such a valuable commodity. Um, It's often it's often not measurable. But to me, it's the basis of, of what, you know, life is really about, is about this sense of connection. Yeah. And that's really what the purpose of this this podcast is, is to, you know, sort of understand how we're all pretty much the same. Yeah. We all have our shit. We've, we've all got the stuff that we deal with. We've all had fucked up stuff happen to us. Um, but when, when, it, when it comes down to it, we're all pretty much the same. And, and being able to understand and see the commonality we all have mm-hmm. um, allows us to also sometimes, not always, but appreciate the differences too. So um, that, you know, when, when I think of, you know, the question I asked, you know, any, any regrets about being or not, not working in the industry anymore or, or that... It, it's still about connecting with people, right? Yeah. It's still about build, building sure. community. So the, the service, the service part of it, and the the human part of it is still there. Yeah, it's just not specifically looking at one piece of it, which is the treatment aspect. And maybe it. that's why it still feels the same to me. Yeah, you know, it does. Like every time I see a mom who's just had a baby. That, and you know, and they also have a toddler, mm-hmm. and they're in there just trying to survive. Yes, yes, because <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yeah, um, I, yeah, it feels really good. I feel like 
it is a place where we can come together and support each other in doing things that are really hard. And um, what's funny is when we were looking for this space, a lot of the landlords and real estate agents were men. Um, some of them totally got it. You know, some of these guys had a lot of children and were like, yeah, mm. this, this makes sense. And I think some of them were like, well, why don't, why don't you just do this at your house or <laughs> go to Target? Like, you know, <laughs> like everyone else in Utah. And we were like, and we even had one landlord or ask to, us. Or, or I'll just say it or go to church. Yeah, or go to church. Like, why do you need a place to right. go? And even one landlord asked us, because we are three female business owners mm -hmm. with children. Mm -hmm. My partner um, was pregnant at the time mm -hmm. on her third. We even had one guy who wanted to rent space to us ask us if we could bring our husbands with us to, oh to meet again. God. <laughs> Men, so I'm a men. women's studies I, yeah, minor, yeah, and I no, was just, just, yeah, yeah, this is doesn't feel, we didn't, we did not end up renting yeah. that space. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I'm so easy to beat up on men these days, um, and I'm, I'm not, I used to, you know, I I, I just, our sex is so fucked up. I'm so sorry. I, th th that kind of stuff just, anyway. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, like how blah. could you women possibly yeah. own a business yeah right or well, vote i mean hell, yeah own land or you drive. can't own, drive <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on you know. or yeah. read you know yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> have opinions oh my Whatever. gosh no and I, I i realized that i i was i was born uh in into a, a feminist family and culture even though i don't think that was you know, it wasn't ever defined as that. Um, so just good people, like yes, just good yeah. <laughs> people. But it 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 represented that in my life. So growing up, I always thought that you know w women basically ran everything because that was my experience of the world as a child. Is everything around me was operated and functioned because of women, mm -hmm. and I didn't I, it I didn't see that the men were detached, and I didn't trust men anyway because of. You know, having an abusive brother or a, a father who died when I was very young, I just they they just weren't around. You know, mm -hmm. they, they weren't they weren't that helpful. So the that that led to an easy understanding and acceptance of a feminine fe, the, the concepts behind feminism. But it also uh, uh, I still find myself today. You know, when I hear stories like you said, you know, would you bring your <laughs> could you bring your husbands or partners with you or whatever next time? I'm just thinking. You know, what, what What year is this still? Yeah. I mean, I still get surprised at this stuff some days. Well, I mean, but, the I, law just passed where you can now legally breastfeed in public. So that's where we're at in Utah. Like, yeah. That was still on the books that a business owner could be like, oh, Yeah, no, that's true. Not in my, that, not in my that business. That is true. <laughs> that is true. And, I, I, and I, I always I thought that that, you know, I mean, that, that was something that just should have been done a long time ago. And in some places it had been. But yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're we're a little a little behind here. All right, um, but we can move on and talk about some other things. See, um, as far as uh, you know, what you you know what what your goals are now, um, and sort of what you see, you know, going forward. Are, are you you know with your life and everything like that? And you know, by by the way, uh, you know your your partner. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, we should probably do a show sometime on, on the, the problems with marriage, um, <laughs> of getting married. Um, now I am married, but I always, I make jokes about it that, um, you know, I was, uh, given an ultimatum at one point saying, you know, uh, you, uh, you, we're either going to get married or, you know, you can see your kids on weekends kind of thing. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I, I always realized, well, okay, that's a choice. I mean, I get it. I mean, I don't want, this is, I don't care one way or the other, but you know, I'll do that if that's, if that's what this means. Um, but I believe the emphasis gets put on it is often stifling to, um, you know, you know, the, the power of, of individuating and and almost the the purpose of of self-care um you know that it's often in partnerships the idea is is we're supposed to take care of our partner first but it, mm-hmm. we're, we're no good to anyone if we oh, don't take put, care of yeah put, put the mask on yourself yes right. and you you know all this stuff <laughs> yeah I, uh, um but even if we know it all, doesn't mean we always practice. No, it, right? that's why I say like your symptoms will yeah. arise if you're not doing self care. Exactly. So you know the and parenthood is the true test. It I mean, is. <laughs> anybody who thinks they're going to have a kid to save a relationship, what? No, never. <laughs> ne- 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 no. Uh, yeah. No. 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 Though it it can. Um, you know, bring some maturity and some responsibility into one's life, but that's not a guarantee. Yeah. Um, by by any means, um, and um, that we we know that because of you know the the problems that you know exist all over our, our country and all over the world um, due to some quite dysfunctional family systems and 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 some social constructs that are you know just haven't kind of caught up with the, the time, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because we're traveling backwards. And yeah, we're trying. We, 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 yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> let's, oh. make, let's make America fucking great again, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> this is explicit. I should probably should have told you that. Yeah, you can. I I can swear on you. Yes. Um, so uh, let's let, you know. Um, let's talk a little bit about life lessons and and uh, anything that kind of stands out to you. Um, is there is there any life lesson or, or um, someone that you felt, whether they consciously were mentoring you or not, that that you know brought about some type of awareness and change in your life that you kind of look back and think about that you know that moment or that that time or that person where um, you you realized that uh, that there was there was something to it that was that really, you know, brought a sense of value and understanding of yourself in any way? You know, the the life lessons piece? I, I realized when uh, I lost my dad how important it is to surround yourself with people that you consider your family. Hmm. You know, whether they're blood or not. Right. None of that matters. Right. Like, just the... What what kind of going back to what you were talking about before about community and mm. being part of something, um, and I just feel like relationships and and people, you know, I, like Buddha was <laughs> kind of onto something, you know, like that's all that matters. Yeah. When every, I mean, if you died tomorrow and looked back on your life, it doesn't matter how many hours you worked or how good of a job you did. Like, 
how many houses you have or none of that matters what matters is people and how you treat them and you cannot treat the people you love well if you're not taking care of yourself right the quality of of relationships which is why i cannot drink (laughs) because i can't i can't do all of that and i can't function and take good care of myself and take care of my children and my husband i can't do all of that if i'm not taking care of myself and for me that means sleep (laughs) (laughs) but 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 the sleep thing is a symptom of you know right really like how are you managing stress and for me it's that codependent stuff like worrying about i mean how many hours have i spent worrying about if i've offended someone if i've done something right if i've done the best that i could do Mm -hmm. you know just thinking about the past right worrying about the future right how much time have i lost doing that right that's a good point how do we stay present yeah live in the live in the moment um especially with children that are getting older every second yeah (laughs) (laughs) aging us yeah right rapidly exactly 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 and it sounds i don't know like all those phrases about taking care of yourself and Mm -hmm. being present staying in the moment like i kind of thought it was just all corny stuff. <laughs> no, no, I get that. I totally get that. Well, that it was simple, yeah. that it was yeah. more simple than it actually is. Right. Because yeah. when you say, I hope you're taking care of yourself, well, first you have to know what that means. Yeah. How, like, what What do I need? How do I care for myself, right? Yeah. yeah. And it seems simple, but it's really not. It's not that simple because you have to look at family dynamics, look at triggers, like what is really bothering you? Mm-hmm. Why are you why are you so hard on yourself or whatever it is, you know, like why, why do you feel like you struggle with certain things? Exactly. Anxiety. Yeah. Oh man. Talk about a symptom. That shit will wake me up out of my sleep. Anxiety is anxiety. Fascinating. Um, uh, Todd Sylvester, who, um, works at, uh, at, at Wasatch where, where, where I am. Um, he, uh, he, he says that, um, uh, that uh, anxiety is improper use of imagination. I love that line. So, oh, I like <laughs> yeah, that. Don't you like that? Because when it, the, the the here we have this great gift in imagination, mm-hmm. and anxiety is about imagining. Because, but we're not imagining things that are healthy or worst case or, scenario. Yes, right. Yes. We're, we're, and we, you know, we, the term future tripping comes out a lot yeah. around. And that. why do we? Why do we imagine yeah. worst case scenario just because we live in constant fear? Uh, so, well, there's been a, there's a certain conditioning that goes yeah, that's associated sure. with it. The 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 pessimism and the shame often leads to that. Shame leads to anxiety too for a lot a lot of people and of course it's correlated with directly with addiction fear of failure yeah, fear of failure yeah well what if you fail fa- fa- well and what is even failing i mean yeah well, what, how do you measure success you, yeah i mean you know the, the, you know the the fail having something fail is an opportunity to do something different 
yeah. instead of you know necessarily going into a place of shame or um, you know toxicity towards ourselves that something's wrong because right. of a failure. Um, and we we're in a society that measures success monetarily. Like, is something only successful if it if it makes money? Yeah. Which means that you know just uh, what is it. Uh, one tenth of one percent of the people are successful. No, I'm just. Kidding. I know, right, but right. yeah, yeah right. that's. But that's really like the. Pressure Any, inequality that we put on is inequality is an, is an example of um, a, a deep societal and community problem. Mm-hmm. That uh, a disconnection, uh, seriously, a, a disconnection. Okay. Um, well, yeah, because we're the most important thing, in my opinion, that we do is raise children. Uh-huh. And how do you how do you measure success? I mean, right. Good if they're question. good humans or not, right? But who decides that? You know, yeah. I mean, it's just good question. Um, well, I think we each decide that for ourselves. I mean, yeah. in some in some level. Can you feel successful at being a stay at home? I mean, I feel like I hear that a lot. Like women that struggle. And me too. I I understand um, leaving the workplace, mm-hmm. not earning an income, mm-hmm. yet doing something so incredibly important. Right. Raising children. I mean, and I know talk about a cliche. It's often the cliches. It's the most important job in the world, and as much as that thought can be taken you know as as overly simplified or trite it's actually true yeah because if if we're not you know basically shepherding in the next generation in a healthy way uh, especially one towards um self-actualization and Mm self-care um then you know we we kind of fail them you know and those little people are they're always watching you can tell them something but they are watching you yeah yeah. They're watching you not take care of yeah. yourself. You know, that's how they're learning things. Yeah. All right. So how how what what in life? <laughs> move on. Here. So what in life? Uh, what what in life? Where do you where do you find joy in in life these days? Oh man. What brings you joy? I love watching murdery stuff. <laughs> You're talking about true crime. <laughs> oh, mind hunter! Like I just yeah, yeah, love yeah, okay. yeah. I and it's really I love reading. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the scarier, like more <laughs> um, those detective novels. Uh-huh. Like I just I love that stuff. Uh-huh. I don't know why. I guess just that's my my way of relaxing Mm. Um, joy is in just um, when I can be present Mm. when I am fully present and laughing with my family Mm -hmm. laughing 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 it's so simple yeah like, <laughs> so I like true crime too by the way I mean I, I like that I like that genre in, mm-hmm. in crime thrillers um, and uh, my by the way my, my partner has this 
this knack for being able to walk downstairs if I'm watching something right at the exact moment that the most horrific <laughs> thing happens. She goes, so you're going to tell me again that that just, that just happened? And I go, nothing's happened for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You walked right down. She has this gift. It's a gift. And so, <laughs> the most murdery part. <laughs> the most murdery part, right? Yeah, the most the most traumatic part. Yes, right? yeah, right. Yes. And so I I laugh about this too because I think it is amusing how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and it happened the other night too. And I was watching this show and nothing happened for forty five minutes. And then there's like this three minute, just little. Um, uh, you know, uh, exchange which was traumatic and violent, and she walked down right in the middle of it. And I'm just thinking, and she's and she, the first thing out of her mouth was, "So you're going to tell me that not, this was that?" And I was like, "Yep, it's exactly right." But <laughs> anyway, so I, I I do understand that. All right. Um, yeah, I saw this meme the other day that said like something something about the. Um, the new Ted Bundy uh, thing that's on Netflix yeah. right now and how white people love murdery shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's, that's a, that's the, that whole story is fascinating. Not just that white people love to murder, which is <laughs> also true, but also like true. that yeah, right. we are obsessed with individuals like this for, like, we just find it fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's just, it is, it's interesting. Chances are you're, if someone's going to murder you, yeah, the, the, the probability be of being a white male is, is pretty high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody you know, yeah. too. Okay. Another All right. topic, another show. We're, we're going to move, <laughs> we're going to move off of that one, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know, that's not very inspirational, but that's, that is what brings me joy, is just being present with my, with my kids and yeah. my husband. and family and community i get it and murdery shit okay so how do you so in your life how do you connect to you know i call this the zen zone because it's about just showing up and and, and being human and you know enjoy yeah. you know connecting with people and which i think is kind of a zen state for me anyway um how do you connect to your zen zone how, what do you do in in life to do that um well i can say that two things really bring me peace hmm. and I kind of feel like that's yeah the same know, kind of thing, yeah. thing um talking to my best friend mm-hmm. on the phone okay um not everyone has someone to talk to about anything that's true you know like you can I can tell her anything mm-hmm. and same with my husband you know I can pretty much tell him anything and he's not gonna judge it and I don't know if everybody has someone like that, that they can just, so that, and, um, releasing some endorphins, um, it's so easy to just say, go, go to the gym, like go exercise and you'll feel better. It's easy to say it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, doing it right. is something else, especially postpartum, you know, like, or just to, you know, being depressed, like pulling yourself out of it and mm-hmm. um, releasing some endorphins. So what I do is I am not <laughs> motivated enough to go to the gym yet, mm-hmm. but I will turn on some YouTube and uh, <laughs> find something, something cardio wise that makes me uh-huh. move my body. Uh-huh. And I can say that it It'll change your life to change everything. 
to move perspective yes to release those endorphins to dance i look so so stupid but (laughs) it does not matter that's that's the bozoness that you get to practice yeah do a zumba class do a zumba class if you want to like not take yourself (laughs) so seriously and release some endorphins like do something like that it's so simple yet sometimes so hard to do i don't you know it's gonna make you feel better yeah it's like sometimes we like like to be in our dark place i don't know Mm -hmm. um okay Uh, a couple more what uh what what are your thoughts or ideas or beliefs or feelings um about god faith life the universe meaning to life what you know i (laughs) when i was younger um i remember my the best friend who i was just telling you Mm -hmm. i talked to every day um, we went to college together and I remember her, um, turning me on to the secret and the four agreements mm-hmm. and, you know, we make fun of it now, whatever it like is, but, um, it's, there's still truth in all of that, you know, mm-hmm. just the f- being impeccable with your word and, um, not taking things personal and, what you think about you bring about like still sounds so corny to say all that stuff but (laughs) i'm kind of embarrassed it's true (laughs) my husband's like i can't wait till you say something that embarrasses you well but that's i mean but it's true it's true it's true um the the notion of uh um always do your best this is that that to me is 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 sort of the basic for all action mm-hmm. and also taking responsibility and 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 practicing you know self care and forgiveness all well, in the yeah, same sometimes thing. you're not your best exactly it's okay yeah because right. <laughs> you're two, the only one who cares I right like no one else cares in bed, you know <laughs> right uh, you know and i was like i definitely wasn't my best as i was you know going hot cold fever you know yeah all over the place and no yeah I, I i get that but the notion of being able to do our best and accepting our that we've done our best is such a I, I, I want to say God sent, but yeah. And oh my gosh, guess what? You can apologize when you don't do your best. Yeah, right. Like people don't realize that. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay to like act in an abusive way or anything, but if you snap at your child because mm-hmm. you are so sleep deprived or hungry, you know, like whatever it is, right? Sure, yeah. And you know, and you feel that guilt, like you know, you just, you messed up. Sure. Apologize. And now guess what? Take responsibility. Your kid has learned how to apologize and that it's, if you make a mistake, Mm -hmm. acknowledge it, say you're sorry, forgive yourself and move on. Yeah. Do not dwell on it. Well, and and the truth is in that moment, if if I am sleep deprived or... Um, I'm, I'm ill in some way and I, I do snap at somebody, um, that is my best in that moment yeah. and, and to accept that, that that's my best and, and still it's okay to, um, apologize for the behavior when I, I see that, you know, that was not appropriate or, you know, I could yeah. have done something different and, you know, but in the circumstances, I understand why I did what I did, you know, yeah. and, and work on that. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be able to trust that, um, the other person cannot take it personal as well (laughs) you know i mean 
Well, that's that notion, you know, it used to be on every board. Well, used to look, there's, there used to be a board here, but um, it, one thing about Lighthouse uh, and, and, and the treatment centers that, that I had, um, and way back to Recovery Bridge, where, where Brett and I met back in 1999 or whatever it was. Um, holy shit, that was, tw- that was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um that this 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 notion of it's never about them no matter who they are that it's always starts with with me it's mm-hmm. whatever's going on is about me it's not about anyone else or the other person um you know what i feel and what i think and what i do it's it's an inside job it's not about you know what yeah. what someone else is doing okay and i think when when i'm at my best it's easier for me to recognize if someone else seems to be struggling and maybe to some degree, give them something that's helpful, you know, something that they may be needing, something simple. Usually it's something simple. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, you're looking good today or, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. Or just listen. <laughs> or how can I help you? Yeah, or just listen. How can I help you? Yeah. Like, that's with my business. I feel like, you know, you see these moms that are just so tired and some of them have three, four little kids. And it's like, how can I help how, what can I do? Yeah. And a lot of times it's hard to even articulate how someone else can help you, but it's, it's nice to be acknowledged that like you're doing a good job. Yeah. yeah. Like you're doing something amazing if you have even one child, but more than one child, mm-hmm. like that you're keeping alive. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> okay. Besides yourself, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Of course, and back to that's the most important person to keep alive. Okay, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, um, but if there were a couple songs that in some way would be representative of your life or your journey or just that have meaning or are important to you, uh, are there there a couple songs that... that, uh, And and why those songs are important to you? So I think... um... Yeah, thinking about it, thinking about it in terms of a playlist, the genres obviously would be all over the place. Um, if people knew what I listened to, like when I was exercising, they uh-huh. would probably be appalled. Like I go so gangster. <laughs> you going gangster? I'm going gangster. Uh, any death going metal in there Tupac, too? Or you, nope. No, no death. I go Tupac. Okay. I go um, N.W.A. Like Easy E. Just gangster okay um, <laughs> i love it that's awesome <laughs> it's um when i think about my 20s and um kind of the whole party phase mm-hmm. um hip-hop like i can i can think of nelly and just all these like uh 50 cent all these hip-hop songs and um but what's really meaningful to me, what really triggers me, is my dad's music and my mom's music. Oh. So um, what I'm listening to more today as a parent probably <laughs> is um, James Taylor <laughs> and Fleetwood Mac. I mean, Landslide just totally makes me think of my mom. And pretty much anything James Taylor makes me think of my dad. So Interesting. Is there a particular song of... of- well, you've mentioned Landslide. Yeah, Landslide is a good one. Uh, by um, Fleetwood Mac, but anything by James Taylor that stands out? Oh, that... gosh. Um, 
Sweet Baby James or oh. Fire and Ice, is that? Fire and Rain. Fire and Rain. Yeah, yeah I'm like, I know that's not the yeah. um, title, but... Um, Fire and Rain such a... It actually is a a beautiful song about endings, about things yes, ending yes, a little bit and, and new beginnings and that transition that, that happens. Well, and when my dad passed, he had probably... 15 guitars which I all ha- I have in my house now but I never learned to play because it was something he did when he was with when he was drinking and withdrawn and, and sometimes he played for me as well but it was always there it just I didn't have that like connection and love I don't know it, it's complicated I guess because you see it in treatment centers. You see the guitar sitting in the corner and, you know, the kids withdrawing and playing and being in their head. And it, it triggers me to see that because I think, of, you know, you know what yes, I'm talking I know about, exactly right? Like what you're talking about. when you're withdrawn and you're just kind of in your, and when he passed, you know, I just found notebooks of lyrics and music, sheet yeah. music. And so music is important but my relationship has been complicated because of that you know just wanting him to I always wanted my dad to to teach me and to sing with me you know to me and to play for me things like that and that was really like a lot of times he was drinking and he was withdrawn and he was not present yeah so yeah full circle stuff again you know like I think of I feel very triggered when I hear James Taylor or any of that kind of folk, folk type music, I guess, is mm-hmm. what they would call it. I don't know. Well, and, and you know, I mean, the, James Taylor's whole life is a little bit about redemption in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, from being a heroin addict to uh, getting to a place where... You know, he, he found sobriety and, and changed his life. And yeah. I mean, he had, sort of has two different lives. But the most amazing part of this, I mean, I love James Taylor, too. That's why. Mm-hmm. And I find him, I find his story in, in so many ways inspirational because the music was always there, even in his madness. Mm-hmm. The music was, was still there. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's, it, it transitions and, and transformed you know, like anything in life would, mm-hmm. as you know, we grow and, and change. Um, but I, I have a, a, a deep connection to that too. Yeah, he, he's I got a few of his on my, my playlist. So. Well, and um, you know, thinking about my my husband and what he has brought, he's brought music back into my life very strongly and but it's like AFI and you know (laughs) music that I just really didn't know and I didn't really love at first but I do now um and then our children um you know our daughter Layla Eric Clapton that song Mm -hmm. was played over and over when she was a baby Mm -hmm. and then uh where he sings uh hallelujah to our son now so I know that that will oh, always be nice. That will always be meaningful for sure. Nice. All right. Beautiful. Okay. 
Jesse, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Hope I didn't ramble too much. Oh no, this was perfect, <laughs> and that a beautiful transition there at the end, sort of full circle with talking about your dad. Um, so I really am grateful, and and it's good to catch up. Yeah, it, it's, it's been good a to few see years you. since we've we've touched base. So. Um, We'll, uh, we've, let's not wait so long next time. Okay? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. All right. We will go out as we usually do with little Joan Osborne. Have a good week. What? Would-